What's up, everybody? Welcome to the debut episode of the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Keefe. This is an interview podcast where we talk to artists from rock, metal, punk, hardcore, and indie bands from all over the world, just like Ghost Cult Magazine. Episode one features part one of a two-part chat with Metal Allegiance. We were hanging out at Duff's Alcohol Abuse Center in Brooklyn, and we spoke to thrash metal legends Alex Skolnick and David Ellison all about their brand new album. Metal Allegiance 2, Power Drunk Majesty, is out now from Nuclear Blast Records. The guys had just played an amazing show the night before at the Gramercy Theater with a gang of rock and metal superstars, and we talked about the show, their brand new album, their approach to songwriting and producing, their brand new beer, Lager of Sin, and a lot more. Metal Legion's next show is this week at the House of Blues Anaheim, January 24th, taking place during the NAM show. Check it out. A quick, fun, and dirty interview with Alex and David from Metal Allegiance. How are you guys doing? Great, man. Awesome. Yep. Killer. Real tired. I bet. Yeah, real tired uh, after the uh, No worries. Full transparency. As am I. As am I. That show last night was exhausting. Gramercy Theater, Metal Allegiance, celebrating Metal Allegiance 2, Power Drunk Majesty, out today on New Glass Records. Uh, phenomenal record. Phenomenal performance last night. And as I just talked to uh, Mengi about, like, what a culmination of basically, like, a year and a half of work for you guys to come do this show and release this record. A lot of work went into this. You know, it started with these sessions of uh, us uh, doing, you know, the, the groundwork, sort of, uh, you know, digging the foundation and building on top of that. We, yeah, it's, it ended up, uh, I think, close to a year from... Start to finish, uh, a lot of moving parts. Uh, but yeah, we, it comes out today, so today's a uh, very momentous day, and just to be able to hear it top to bottom, which is, I actually haven't done yet from the record. Right. Dave bought it, so Dave's <laughs> a step ahead of me. Here. Hey, if one copy sold. Internally, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice work, nice work. That's why we're charting. Exactly. <laughs> Sound scan is buzzing, or whatever they use these days. Uh, but yeah, what a killer record. And as, and as I said before, it seems like a much heavier record than the first record. Uh, obviously, but that record is also awesome, and we're big fans. But this record is just crushing every track. It's just tight and heavy, man. I love it. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think on the 20, the last record, Mengi came in with the Thrash record. And which we, we did. I mean, I think largely, you know, Cornoy, uh, Alex, and myself, coming from, we're friends, we've been around each other for years. Um, we know we like the same music, but to get in a room, three very diverse players, I mean, Alex and I certainly coming from a thrash background for sure, but, you know, Alex also being a jazz musician, Cornoy, obviously, his eclectic certainly prog recognition, uh, yeah. but he's also got a whole depth of the Beatles and all these other things. Like, where do you kind of bring that together? Like, where's the, 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 the crossroads of that, you know? And I think that's that was kind of what the first day or so of just kind of riffs at each other was. Mengi came in and just started throwing a couple riffs around, you know? And we, I don't know, I think we're kind of all going, I don't know, we take this guy seriously as a musician, because we knew him as a, as a business friend uh, in the industry. And he earned our respect right away. In fact, to the degree that I basically picked up a guitar and said, hey, Mark, you play bass, and I'll just play along and jam some guitar and, yeah. you know, kind of collaborate from a different angle since we don't need this. Nothing sounds worse than two bass players going at it, you know. It's like a big, huge rumbling uh, thing. But, you know, it's funny, because with that, Mark and I have found a 
uh, you know, it's funny, I think, in guitar bands. I've been around two guitar bands my whole life, and there's comes this moment who's going to take the solo, and, and you find that usually they kind of work themselves out pretty organically for the most part, and Mark and I are now that band. Yeah, it is like with, with two bass guitars. We're like bass. Two, yeah, two bass yeah. players, and we kind of just instinctively know which part to take and when to hand it off to the other guy. Yeah, I... You know, one guitar band. Yeah, yeah. Often it is. One, yeah, we've done a bunch of shows with one, one guitar, like uh, Ozzy Dio style. Mm -hmm. uh, the last, yeah, and I've, I've had a couple different second guitarists. I've had uh, Phil Bemmel. Uh, most recently, Andreas Kisser, who's also on the record, and he was with us last night. So good. Um, but yeah, no, it is a good team. And yeah, when Mark first came in, you know, he has riffs that. It, had a different feel than the rest of it, so it added a different flavor. They, they, they were good, they were solid, and also some cool lyrical ideas that would show up later. Um, but I'm not I, I friends would, with Andreas anymore, uh, after last but, night. Uh, don't listen to him. Um, yeah, but also the uh, first record, I, I describe it as an adventure, and I think um, maybe for me, maybe maybe it's for Dave too, we, we've, we've been doing a lot of thrash, like we're thrashing all year round, so it's not like I didn't want to do it, but it was, it was definitely an urge, this is like an outlet to do something else, so to get, not to not do something totally different, but to sort of get me, you know, not just do that. Yeah, well definitely. And I felt, and, but, but we did that. And I felt like, you know, what our, our biggest strengths were was what's reflected on this record. And now having done that big experimental, which which is, it was also because it was experimental because it was the first time, and because, you know, we had, we had all these, we had like twice as many guests. So it was, it was an experiment. It worked well. I think we'll listen to that record years from now. I think, man, you know, we really did something well there. But this one... It was like, okay, now we're really ready to fine-tune it and make it really heavy. Red, and I feel you on the uh, sort of the uh, eclectic uh, vibe and the diversity. It's a little more, di it's not straight ahead. There's all kinds of flavors on the record. Uh, and I was going to say, especially having the two different distinctly styled bass players, David's bass playing world-renowned and very good, like you hear it, you know immediately, oh, that's that's David. And and Mark's very, uh, you know, got the Weezer, old school finger style, Cliff Burton, Weezer Butler, bass playing styles. Definitely brings more flavor to the songs, makes them stand out even more apart from each other because there's almost like a, it's not just an all-star band and an all-star album with guest singers and things, but like every song has its own character, right? Which is really great, especially if you, you care about this songwriting stuff, you know, a little bit. I think a lot of it too is, you know, you start to bands, Start to do roles are defined, um, and that's a big part of it because we're all friends, you know, we're buddies. And I think, you know, to me, it's important. Uh, some bands you're not there because you're friends, you're there because there's a musical mission, maybe there's a business decision, there's you know, there, there's a different agendas, and every, every band is a little bit different. And this is one where clearly we were brought together over friendship, so it's like, okay, now how does the music fit together around that? And you know, I think on this record. You know, I watched Alex take a much more sort of musical director role when we were composing. And, um, you know, it's funny, Portnoy, who has always been in, you know, Dream Theater and certainly Sons of Apollo, a lot of the acts he's been involved in, he's very much the driving force. In Metal Allegiance, I see him kind of 
chilling out and just kind of relaxing. Yeah, he yeah, sort of he goes, Dude, that's a great riff. And he jumped behind his kit and play. He's basically said, I've retired from lyric writing. I wrote all the Dream Theater lyrics. I don't want to write any lyrics. So he's actually acquiesced a lot of those roles he's been known for publicly. Um, and Connor's taken a, a much different role here. I think on the first record, I brought in probably stuff that was maybe a little less metal. And I think even on this record, what by you know the, uh, Mark and um, Alex and Mike had already written six of the tracks, and which really sort of defined sort of the scope of what this record was. And, and when I got into the guys, I, I you know I always have riffs and ideas I like to bring into writing sessions, but I was the one that said, you know, let's listen to something not fresh. It's just like let's think about what else is in metal. We have Tool, we've got Godsmack, Disturbed. Sepultura, you know, I mean, there's there's things that are kind of outside of the scope of uh, kind of what's always in front of us at every festival and every, you know, a lot of these places Alex and I that are always at is kind of, oftentimes it becomes a, you know, sort of a, you know, a cast of characters we know. And so it's like, so what do we do beside that? And I think you know, one of the things, you know, so that, that our four tunes that, that, that we musically composed, we started to get a little outside of the box, which I think true. helped widen the scope a little bit, which was yeah. kind of fun like for us as thrashers. So yeah. how do we just not thrash all the time? It also fits. You know? Somehow it fits with the other songs. Yeah. Even though Impulse Control is really more like a rock and roll song. Right. Yeah. Uh, the to voodoo. Check this out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's not really a fast tune, but it, it fits. Same with Impulse Control. We were actually laughing. It's like, this is almost like, like an 80s rock and roll kind of song. It's almost like a Sunset Strip yeah. rock vibe, you know? I should like an Aerosmith. Aero, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got a swagger to it, you know. And but you know, when it's placed, you know, with the tone of the other ones and the fact that you're hearing it in contact of all these highly aggressive tunes. So I'm, I'm like, I hesitate to... Yes. Call it a, a full thrash record because that really implies like the same type of beat on most of the. You know, it's not nuclear assault. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not trying, it's not trying to be creator or <laughs> no, bonded by blood. It's yeah, not yeah, that kind, right? And, right. Uh, even the title track, I mean, it's got some really different. Yeah, stuff. It's, it's out there. But it also has a big chunk. You know, the majority of it, you know, has that feel, and it's definitely. Vast and mean, has those qualities. Right on, and of course, you know your day jobs or your your mainstay bands clearly do that stuff all the time. So certainly, when you get to step outside of that environment and compose something different, perform something different, what a what a how refreshing it is. Yeah. Another part of it too, I think, is uh, you know when we're composing because none of us are the singers. So, you know, there's this thought of like, you know, we can get all into our fingerboards and our drum kits and write these musical opuses. But at some point, at the end of the day, the audience isn't just listening to us. They're mostly going to listen to us sing, you know. And uh, I'll, again, sing praises to Alex that lots of times there's moments where he's really good about just kind of, okay, let's... It starts humming a lyric, and it starts humming a phrase and a melody, and how a singer would actually fit over top of these riffs. Because riff music is very complex to fit a singer over. You know, metal singers, you really come to appreciate their ability to lay a melody and a phrasing of a lyric over top of You know, like, how do you do that? You know, this, this machine gun staccato rapid fire kind of thing. And, um, you know, so I think, you know, because we've been down this road once with one record and we know this process, you know, that these songs, as they develop, they start to sort of call out to singers. Um, 
We get asked that a lot. Did you guys write this song with this singer in mind? And generally we don't. We generally we start because they're not in the room. We don't have a top ten list of you know. Let's write a song for this guy. Let's write a song for Bush. Let's write a song for Blitz. We call them after the, the music is, is literally falling into place, and then it's some. Then it becomes obvious at a certain point. They go, oh, man, this is, we we got to get John Bush on this. And, uh, you know, Blitz or whoever, um, and then a couple of great ones like Four Jansen coming in. You know, right? And she just did oh. her. They like. She came up with this whole melody that was totally her. Stately um, and other world. Yeah. And there's, there's a few singers that have that approach. Uh, but, uh, you know, Johan's another one. It's like, yeah, just do do what you do. You know. And then there's others that you know, look for guidance. And uh, I have a bunch of uh, guide vocal tracks. That I come. I'm not a metal singer. I tell them, please don't sound like me. <laughs> but I can, yeah, you know, just do a, a guide, and it shows you where the placement is supposed to be, and uh, it's uh, it came in really handy for a lot of the songs. You guys have written enough songs in your careers, and written vocal parts, and sing backup vocals live. Uh, so you certainly know what makes a good vocal track. And as a producer in that role, uh, is that a little more difficult for you because you don't have to dial in? Every track has to be dialed in for a different singer and what they like, or is it easier because it's oh I'm not bored by this I have variety I have to work a little bit every track different to match each singer. Yeah, I mean I do uh, instrumental music as well. Right, of course. And I think there's a similarity and coming up with a uh, a vocal part or producing a vocal part to coming up with a, a melody on top of them on top of a riff uh, for, to be sung. Um, you know, the difference is you're, it's not your voice, so you have to work with what the person has. I mean, obviously, these singers, are, they're all tremendous in their own ways, um, but it's, it's different. It's different with, with each person, and you might approach one person very, very differently. Um, and, you know, again, and again, there are, there are those that you just need to let them go off and and do their thing, like the Johans and the Floyds. Sure. Uh, and also just knowing, you know, when that is. When, and then there's some that meet us halfway, like I think uh, Blitz and John Bush uh, worked, worked with Mark hands on, on these lyrics that uh, Dave and Mark had like, collaborated on that, that, that was just a bunch of cool words. But it's like, okay, how does that get sung? And guys like, Somebody like Blitz, like he can only sing like Blitz. He can't. Right? <laughs> yeah. You're not gonna. <clears throat> yeah, I, I could talk to Mark Segueda and maybe say, you know what, dude, do this one. Like, how would Bowie approach that? That word. Like, he's, he's like, I love Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> or I would say, how does how does Stephen Tyler do that? You don't say that to somebody like Blitz. You know? <laughs> you're, you're you're Blitz. <laughs> he would say that. He, he would probably agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't do anything but, you know. <laughs> I can go the rest of my life. I saw Bobby Blitz cover The Eagles. I'm all set. I don't need any other covers the rest of my life. He got oh, way into that. He yeah, really did. Elisa from March Enemy sang it on the recording. Right. And killed it. Crushed and it's beautiful. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, you know, she owns it. It's her. But after he, there was a point in rehearsal where she wasn't in the room and he was just singing along with us. I, you know. He, he could do this too. Yeah, of course. If she's ever on, on tour. And that was a surprise. I'm like, Blitz is singing the Eagles? 
Nice. Elise is amazing. She also has a voice. I feel like she could almost do anything. Yeah, people don't talent. know that because yeah, she's the, so talented. the most invisible thing that she does, and it's fantastic. You know, arch enemy. Yeah. <laughs> she's one of the guys. Yeah, you know, but the truth of it is, is she's got it's this voice. I feel. I feel like in Metal Allegiance. Uh, a great we gave her a real platform yeah. to do that, and I remember seeing the the uh, social media comments when she sang on We Rock, uh, which was her first participation um, on the, from the last album. And uh, people are like, "Oh my God, I want to hear you sing more you, like this." You sing I clean? I didn't wow. even know you could sing like yeah. this. I mean, it, it was really a cool thing, you know, to, to reveal, you know, to give this to be a platform for people to obviously come in and be who they are but show a different side of, of, of what they do I think is a really cool part of what we do here and I love what she does and it was also built on another singer Andrew who was there before uh, so and she Elisa had done clean singing before so it's like okay with us you know we're gonna let people hear you the way it is Killer, killer. Uh, I just have a couple more for you guys. You've been amazing. I know you're tired. Um, I asked Mark a bunch of questions about some future things and future gigs. But since we are here in Brooklyn at Dove's Alcohol Youth Center, let's talk about Lager of Sin, man. I had my first Lager of Sin beer the other night, and it is pretty yummy, man. I gotta say, I don't drink a lot of lagers. I'm more like an ale guy, but I'm not a beer connoisseur, but it was good. I'm an IPA Okay. Um, and I, I usually don't do lagers myself, but this is, this is one I, I, I approve of. Um, and, you know, I, it was uh, not, not everybody in the band drinks, but those of us that do, uh, we just threw out some names of brews that we like. You know, you know, some, something like that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to have a beer with uh, your, uh, one of your musical projects. And very timely with the new record, like perfectly themed. Uh, I found the beer to be excellent. Not every band, beer or wine or spirit is great. Let's just yeah, be so frank. Yeah, I'm not going to knock. No, no, not at all. But uh, some of them are very good. Some of them are sold here at Duff's, just to give a plug. And uh, both Megadeth of you, Megadeth is, is quite good. Uh, the Trooper is quite good. The, the Mastodon beer is actually my favorite, and they sell it here. Um, it's quite good. Um, reminds me of a very good Pilsner. Um, and just to say how interesting it is, we live in a time where and you guys are very entrepreneurial, spirited guys with many ventures and many and things like the coffee brand, David, um, and just in general, uh, how interesting it is because beverage marketing and spirit marketing is huge right now, but it's also very interesting that it kind of, I feel like it falls in with the lifestyle of rock and metal fans. Not, not to, you know, obviously look, hey, if you have a problem, you can always reach out and get some help, but just, you know, socially, we all go to shows, we go to bars like Duff's and we drink, we have drinks, and how cool it is to have uh, a band beer in your hand, and, and the can is beautifully, you know, the artwork is beautiful, actually matches the artwork of the album a little bit, like thematically, I was like, this is really cool, man. Yeah, you're seeing more and more of that, there's a, a burger theme place in uh, Chicago. Kuma, Kuma's Corner. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's fun, why not, you know, uh, why not, and uh, obviously coffee, we have the man right here. Word. <laughs> Um, so I, I think it's great as long you know these are all quality products, and uh, you know I think as long as the, the quality is there, then why not? It helps promote the, the music, and uh, you know you're giving people some appetizing enjoyment. 
It is. It's all lifestyle. I mean, it basically started with Cheeseburger in Paradise. I mean, he was the <laughs> oh. first one really to like bring the, the lifestyle together, you know what I mean? Like to a really nth degree of, of recipes on the internet and, oh. you know, and just everything that, that, that he did with that. And then obviously San Diego, Cabo you know, took it to another point. But yeah, it's, you know, and again, it's great to hear these, you know, magnificent stories of these business titans. But I think more than anything, it is. It's about lifestyle. You know, our fans. They want to get a part of who you are. You know, they see us play on the stage, and that's great. Um, but today, it's, it's about so much more of that. You know, they, they, in a way, fans want to feel like they can kind of touch you a little bit and sort of be part of your life. And, um, you know, yeah, I think in this case, to, you know, to roll out the, the logger at the same time of the album release is timely. Uh, it kind of becomes a cool little merch item, you know, one that you can drink now. <laughs> the band thing you can drink and uh, drink our new album drink our new album and drink responsibly please uh, but yeah awesome thank you guys so much for this new record thank you so much for sharing some time with Ghost Cult Magazine thanks for having us thank you guys Thanks for checking out today's podcast. Follow, like, and subscribe wherever you hear these podcasts. Also check out Ghost Cult Magazine on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally check us out at ghostcultmag.com. We're out. Peace.